good feels like being excited for the unknown versus fearing the unknown. What do I want for my life? And that was the question. And that was the catalyst or the idea of, wow, we, we're truly all one question away from a completely different life or outcome. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Emotional Optimism Podcast. I am so excited to bring this one to you. I had a chat with my good friend and also podcaster and now author, Mark Champagne, about his new book, Personal Socrates, which is coming out on sale very soon. So please pick it up. We also talked about making career pivots, making life pivots, and really doing our best to not sleepwalk through our days. So I hope you get a lot out of this this chat. I absolutely could talk to Mark for hours and hours and hours and uh, enjoy. And thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate you. I feel your warmth every day. Okay, there's so many things I want to chat through and find out about and discover about Mark. And the place I'd like to start is your childhood, your origin story, and and who was Mark at, you know, as a little five, six, seven-year-old. Where were you? Oh, where was I? That's a great place to start because I mean, I have a five-year-old, so <laughs> it's interesting to draw that that connection or that parallel. Um I grew up in a small town in, in northern Ontario, Canada, so about four hours away from Toronto, let's say. And it was a you know small like mining town type thing, a lot of unions and all of that. And um, just had a like a normal upbringing, you know, played played different sports. I was people are gonna laugh at this, but I spent a lot of time uh, as a waiter and chef at Red Lobster. So I used to call myself a culinary professional. That was a real title. <laughs> so there's so many people that joke about that. I said, you know, if you're ever looking for fine dining seafood, make sure you head over to the Red Lobster. So, oh my gosh. Okay. Well, you know what? Thank God for the Red Lobster because that is the way some people are introduced and that's the only way they get lobster. <laughs> yeah, so. I guess. But I mean, all joking aside, I mean, I, I remember because I was in university that time and I was working there. And then I was also at one point had uh, a summer job at one of the, at one of the mills at the, at the mine, which was like a, a much slower pace of a job, let's just say. But then I would go into Red Lobster at, at night and especially when I was serving and I feel like I'm still able to leverage what I've learned in, in a job like that. And, and then, I, then from there, I went into to a sales role, uh, you know, before doing what I'm, I'm doing now. But just, you know, connecting not just with the people coming in, but also having the, you know, trying to have the best relationship with everyone in the back of the house and like orchestrating that whole relationship game and, and seeing what's possible when that actually goes really well. Yeah. You know, so it's just, I mean, if, if, if I was ever hiring anyone in sales, I, I'd be looking right to anyone that, you know, worked in a restaurant because it's just, mm -hmm. man, you pick up so much. I, I 
I really say at least 80% of everything I learned was waiting tables, busing, and bartending. Yeah. Absolutely. Just the, yeah. the connection, the anticipation and intuition and the speed and teamwork. And, you know, you bring something interesting up, which is the relationship between the front and the back of the house. And, you know, you played a dual role because you were also in the back of the house some nights. Yeah. Well, I started there and then I and then I realized, well, wait a second, they're making so much money in the front of the house with these tips. I'm like, I've got to try this out. And, and then, I mean, it that really helped because I knew I knew what it felt like to see what they called like chits popping out of the machine and they would hit the floor. Because, I mean, we joke about a lobster, but there's some serious business coming out of those, you know, standing oh, yeah. lines to get in. And what that felt like when you're, you know, five, six people in charge of orchestrating and getting those plates out. So then, you know, I'm on the other side of that and you've got customers that are, you know, experience, you know, expecting a really good experience. And I know that their food's probably going to start to become a bit late because you can see what's happening there. And then again, trying to navigate that relationship and make sure that everyone is, you know, feeling good about the situation. And then, you know, then all of a sudden, you know, people want to help kind people. And, yeah. you know, I was the same way when I was on the other side. I mean, we knew which servers that we were, we would, you know, pull some favors with or make sure that their, their, their experience was good because they were kind to us. Yeah. And go the extra mile. They bring you a beer in the back. I, yeah. It's so funny. I had no idea that we were even going to go here, but Neither did I. we both have the <laughs> restaurant background. I dated so many chefs in my life. Really, I mean, and so I would be in the front of the house as a server and I would be, you know, different times in my life. I dated incredible chefs, but I learned kind of that etiquette or that, um, uh, how do you say like, uh, yeah, to bring a beer or to bring a pitcher of water or to like do them right. And you, you know, you happen to get your steak out just a little bit before. So true. Jackie over right? there. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. In, in this pandemic, while we've been at home, I have, well, I think most of us have cooked and not mm-hmm. gone to, I've probably gone to a restaurant, you know, six times now. Yeah. And which is so foreign. And I've gotten so <laughs> used to my own cooking and, uh, and, you know, the flavors I've been able to experiment with. And almost every night, that's and we probably spoke about this. That's actually how I unwind is I creatively cook. Sure. And sure. Uh, just kind of empty my empty my head because I like the idea of providing. I like the creativity. Yeah. Um, there's uh, you know, and in a in a kitchen, you know, you've got as you said orders and orders and orders. So you have to be like wide awake. Oh, for sure. And, and on it. I think it was my, I mean, people are going to think I'm, I'm nuts making these parallels, but I feel like that was probably my introduction to like a strategist way of thinking. Cause I mean, essentially that was where my career then started. And then now, you know, I, I finally came to this language of a mental fitness strategist because mm-hmm. it, it, it combines two, two things in my life that are, I'm really passionate about. But if I think about, you know, some of those earlier experiences in, in the kitchen, I was the, uh, what did they call it? The, it was the expo expositioner or something. And it was, I was on the grill, but making sure that the food coming out of the oven was timed with the grill and the fryer and the plates. And 
just, you know, having all those moving parts, it reminds me of putting together brand strategies when you've got analytics coming in, you have a sales team, you have, you know, in my case, I was in the healthcare space. So you had, you know, medical, chief medical officer or doctors pitching in and you had to like bring all that together in some sort of plan and then sell it, you know, essentially, right? To, yeah, to the yeah. whole organization. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got to package it up. And coming out of that kitchen, you know, you probably always had like an expediter, someone who like made sure the sauce was cleaned off the, the rim of the yeah. plate. Same thing when you're selling it, you know, you need someone who has that final QA look. Before, yeah, the details. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, people pay attention to that. Yeah, for they, sure. They really do. All right. I want to go back in time for one second because I'm so curious. So when you were that kid in Northern Ontario and you thought, I want to be blank when I grow up, did you have a thought there? You know what? I've thought about that because, again, just because of my five-year-old who tells me every day that, you know, he wants to be a construction worker mm -hmm. or he wants to be an artist and draw and all these things. And I don't remember having those thoughts to be completely transparent. I mean, I all I, all I remember was in the summers, I used to visit uh, an aunt and an uncle who lived in Toronto. And that was my exposure to like the business world. And my aunt was an executive at Sharp Electronics. Oh, wow. And my, my uncle was a, um, he was in sales, but it was a, a, a food, a candy broker out of all people actually, like with Hershey and all these things. So when he would visit, his trunk would pop open. <laughs> it was like a gold mine, right? But I used to go there for uh, a month at, at times in the summer and then they would they would kind of tag me along like I I remember I went to Sharp at one the, the Sharp uh, Canadian office and I was photocopying things and stuff and just I didn't have that exposure where I grew up and then ironically or maybe not so ironically um, I went my degree is in business and and marketing and communications and it like that came from I think just seeing what that life was like. And even just the, the the smallest things that when I when I lived in Toronto, I, you know, I didn't really enjoy, but getting stuck in traffic, you know, they'd bring me like, wow, there's 17 lanes of cars here. How like how exciting is this, right? Yeah. And uh, just again, I think just presenting another world. Yeah, I love that thought. Like I remember also feeling like grown up or part of the working world when there was traffic where I was on a very crowded bus in San Francisco going down Market Street to, you know, my yeah. agency job. And I was like, I'm, I'm part of this world. I'm part of the working world. I, I might feel like a weirdo inside, but somehow I'm passing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. I love it. Oh, gosh. So sales and, and what drew you to sales I'm going to just assume, go out on a ledge here, part of it was the relationships because you are such a, a warm, present human. Oh, well, thank you. And yes, I think it definitely was that. And then and then again, seeing, you know, just just almost like having my, my uncle as a mentor. I mean, I remember he when he would visit, he'd, we'd go for these early morning coffees. And for any Canadians listen, of course, it was at Tim Hortons <laughs> and, you know, you know, he'd buy me a little hot chocolate and I was young and he would just ask me questions. And it was always around, you know, people like, have you called your grandmother? You know, have you have you done this? Have you thanked so and so? And 
it, it just it got me into this this place of the importance of treating people kindly. And, and then again, that probably translated into the whole restaurant experience, but then it kept going, right? And I just love this. I love when you can connect with another person, especially in sales, when it doesn't feel like sales, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just two people having a conversation. If I can help you, great. I mean, that's why I'm here. There's no hidden agenda, but like, let's make something happen so we both feel good about what we're doing and and whatnot. So that was always... That was always the driver between, you know, in, in the sales world and just, you know, the, also the challenge. I mean, that's probably also where mental fitness came up because of all the, you know, the rejection and the no's and the, and the struggle that that comes with as well. Right. Well, what were you selling? What were the first couple of things that you sold? At first, drugs, legal wow. drugs. <laughs> yeah. I was working for Novartis Pharmaceuticals. Wow. And um, that's where I spent the majority majority of my time in, in that's in that world at the very end I switched to another uh, a Japanese company uh, Atsuka pharmaceuticals which ironically at least in Canada it was almost like a mini Novartis that people were all shifting over there so it mm-hmm. felt like you know friends and family almost yeah um, I say smaller but I mean the company worldwide still had 144,000 employees so <laughs> I mean, it was it was smaller in comparison to Novartis. Oh my gosh! So far, so pharma, right? Drugs, yeah. pharma. Uh, there's a Novartis right down the street here. That's so funny. Where I am in um, New Jersey. And oh yeah, then, yeah. They're all there. Big one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're all yeah. The um, well, there's a lot of land here. There's a lot of like just you know paved paradise and put up a a, a pharma company or something. So. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, what happened after pharma and, and, you know, let's talk about up until the time where we met, which was 2018 and 17 yeah. or so, um, when you had just the most beautiful offering in the world and podcast and we'll get there in a second. I'm like, sure. I'm like dreamy just thinking about that. Um, so sales was effective and you know, yeah. if you're good at it, you make a healthy living. And Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember, I, I mean, I won the the sales trip and mm-hmm. it, it's, it's wild. I mean, actually one of the, one of the acknowledgements in the back of the book was, is to my, one of my, my ex partners in sales. It was the two of us wow. and we've stayed friends ever since. And but this is where, so the sales part is where the mental fitness journey actually started. Not, you know, just in the background. It wasn't, it wasn't anything in, in, in relation to doing it full time. But I remember I was out of university. At that time they were hiring just groups of people, essentially. We all went to uh, Montreal, which is where the Canadian office was. And basically you were there three or four weeks for this, you know, massive training. And at, that's when... I don't know what flipped the light bulb, but it was the thought came across my mind that, okay, we're all being trained in the same way, you know, based on the degrees we have. Most people in that industry either come out with a science degree or a business degree and you're trained up in the science or you're trained up in the sales, right? So for me, I was going through this massive science training, which was interesting in itself. But on top of that, I started thinking, well, I need to do something else because we're all kind of being trained in the same way. So how how can I possibly, you know, hit my objectives and, and try to be the best at this if I'm we're all doing the same thing? And then that's when it start when I started getting up a little bit earlier. 
And all I was doing at the beginning was reading positive stuff. Wow. You know, at that time, it was blogs, right? Yeah. And I remember I was reading Success Magazine <laughs> uh, with Darren Hardy. And then you start seeing like Tony Robbins and Robin Sharma and, and all of these d- different individuals sharing these practices that, you know, they were picking up and that they were using. And that's what tipped me off into this, this to, to pick up a, a journaling practice. So I would get up early in the morning. I would read that content. I'd find, I'd be left with these prompts that they were asking themselves. And then when podcasts came on the scene, it was the same thing. I'd, I'd pick up these questions and I would reflect on the question based on where I was at in my life and what was going on with, with work and whatnot. And I'll never forget. I mean, I'll never forget. I was in Boston at a Hyatt and at the time I was still at Novartis, but I was applying f- for a job in San Francisco at Genentech and it was close, like Claude, to the point where relocation companies were calling and asking how much stuff we had. So wow. in my wow. mind, I was there, right? Yeah. yeah. And of course, you know, I get a call. I'm in Boston. We're about to deliver this this brand plan because at that time I was a, a brand manager. And they said, you know what? We've tried everything, but we can't get the visas sorted out and all mm. of that. So it's just, it's not going to happen. Mm. And I, I mean, I was defeated, but... In 10 minutes, I had to go stand in front of the, the team and deliver this, ah, like motivational, here's the plan, we're going to rock it, this is what we're going to do. And I'll, I'll never forget because I, I flipped into this is where all of that training in mental fitness and journaling has to come into play because before I left, I just unleashed everything that I was feeling and flip, I was able to flip my mind into, you know, a gratitude state. Hey, I'm in this beautiful hotel. I have a good job. I have a great team. Things could be, you know, a hell of a lot worse. Yeah. Right. So anyway, wow. I just kept going down that, that path. And that was just from reading and picking up these practices. That's beautiful. That is so incredibly awesome that, that, that you were um, awake and aware enough to know in that moment, for example, when you got that phone call or, okay, like we got to change this script right now because I'm yeah. here to do this, yeah. not, not to sulk right now that I didn't get that job. And there'll be time for that if you need to, but that is, that is really cool because also your self-taught, you found yeah. your way. I don't know. You know, it's, it's interesting. I'm going to digress a tiny bit, but there's all of us, I think, gravity, whether or not we're conscious of it or not, to things that we need, tools that we need in our toolkit, our tool belt, Uh, just as though we gravitate sometimes to things that are unhealthy for us. I mean, we're, we're, you know, imperfectly perfect. We're human. (laughs) Yeah, we're human, you know, messy. I love it. Um, And it is fascinating how we as human beings somewhere in us know to do that. Like, no, you know, you, I can understand reading like positive affirmations and, you know, I used to, you could find me in the self-help section of any Barnes and Nobles or whatever for decades. Yeah. But then when you actually, for you, put the pen to paper to have some kind of release or some kind of um, uh, mark that says I was here, whatever it is, like, Mm -hmm. It's fascinating how we just gravitate towards those things. Yeah, we default. I mean, I didn't know it at the time, but as as I continue to study this stuff, I mean, it's no different than, 
you know, like an Olympic athlete putting in all the physical training for the event. I mean, it's just our event, you know, is life and yeah. these moments. So, <laughs> you know, it's not, you know, if you're, if you're ripping down the track on your bobsled, I mean, you're not trying new things at that, at that moment, you've already put in that training and you can trust it. Yeah. So I didn't know, I didn't really, I don't think I put those, those two things together at the time, but essentially that's what was happening, right? It was defaulting to, to the every morning because I would be getting up at 5.30. I'd spend about an hour doing that that work and I'd go into work and I could see it. I could see it helping every day. But then when I really needed it, it you know, it really showed up. Yeah, I love that. The gift was there. Yeah. You know, I, I just love that. Okay, so after sales, when did you... Yeah. So journaling was your thing. It was your... Um, uh, what do you even call it? Super. It's not even a superpower. It was your, it was your, you, you, that's what you, you leaned on to, um, yeah. to help you and to facilitate your uh, emotional wellness, emotional growth and your, uh, and your mental fitness. Yeah. And so then were you like, okay, journaling, I want to share this with the world. Yeah, well, it came after. So from I spent about two years in sales. And then I always wanted to go, just given the degree I had, I wanted to, to be somewhat in marketing. So, you know, in the farmer world, the typical, at least in the past, what the path was start in sales, you know, to understand obviously the customer and whatnot. And then you you would move to the to the corporate office, usually do a role in analytics of some sort, which was any analyst listening. I mean, I salute you to that as a serious job. Um, challenging and probably the most I've ever learned, actually. Uh, and it's still, I use a lot of that today. And then eventually got into product and brand management. And that's where things started to become a bit different with the journaling practice because th then I started traveling a lot with for conferences and things like that. And, you know, I, I had always journaled digitally for, you know, Primarily at the beginning, just because I you know, couldn't read my writing and that was, that was the, the bother. And it started just in a literally in Microsoft Word at that time. And then, you know, as technology continued to develop and whatnot, then I, I started using Apple Notes and then eventually started using uh, other specific journaling apps. But the at the time, there was nothing that existed that was, you know, outside of essentially a word processor. Even the journaling apps were essentially, you open it up, you write, there's some formatting, you can tag things, but that was kind of it. And there wasn't anything like a headspace or calm, which was, which was really coming on the market for meditation that guided you through the practice. Because for me, my practice was always heavily based on prompts, right? I would, I'd be reading that stuff, I'd be listening to podcasts, I'd grab the prompt, I'd, I'd write it down somewhere, and then the next morning, I'd copy and paste that into whatever app I was using. And that's where the, that's where the frustration point existed. So I'm like, there's got to be a better way to do this. And clearly, you know, people are starting to become open or okay with being guided digitally, seeing what was happening in the meditation space. And then that's when I, you know, decided I flipped my brother-in-law an email, actually, because he was the closest person I knew to technology, which we laugh about to this day. I mean, he's not a developer, neither am I. He had a, he was an entrepreneur and he still is. Uh, and he was running an IT company, like phone systems, internet type thing, <laughs> you know? So I just said, listen, here's my frustration. I've been doing this practice for literally eight years. 
Um, it this stuff really works, and you know here's here's the background, but there's a big gap. And is you know if is this something you would be interested in just exploring to see if we can create something, you know? And he just because of his the company he owned, um, he had a small team. He had one designer that was doing you know, websites and things like that. And I said, why don't we why don't we mind map an app and what this could be and. I still have those mind maps. And, you know, I was doing that in the, in the evening. My wife was pregnant at that time, so she was exhausted by about 8 p.m. So then yeah. I'd work on this app. And eventually, I remember there was this creativity con- uh, conference in Montreal and, called C2. And I was going for the company, and I, I told my brother-in-law, I said, you should come. And first of all, you'll just get a lot out of it. There's really interesting people here. But let's book meetings at this conference and just pitch the app, see what people think. And it was just an envision. It was just, a, you know, it wasn't a real app yet. It was mock-ups essentially. But the designer was on standby pretty much, <laughs> right? So we were booking these meetings. We we're showing people and we we're, we we're getting live feedback essentially. And one meeting would end and then we'd call Ken. I said, Ken, you got you to shift this around and update the app. And we're going to try something new. And the feedback was really positive. And I, I remember at that time, we were probably working on it for, for a few months just you know, getting, getting the vision clear and whatnot. And I knew enough at that point, having worked on these hundred million dollar products that, you know, if we really wanted to, to make a go out of this, we needed a solid plan. We needed a strategy. We needed a brand plan of some sort, some sort of content solution. And I couldn't do both things at the same time. Cause I mean, it wasn't like I had a, you know, a part-time job. It was, it was right. fairly demanding. And I'll never forget, we were sitting at that conference, my brother-in-law's looking uh, over my shoulder, and the, the keynote speakers were Martha Stewart and Snoop Dogg. They oh, were partnering wow. up on their, like, their weed venture, right? Right, right. Wow. <laughs> so they walk by, and he says, you know what? You should leave your job, partner up with me, and join my company. Um, you can help me with some of the marketing stuff, but 80% of your time will be to, to launch this wellness business and app. And um, so I said, you know, thought about it, obviously. And but that was the leap wow. right there. That was the leap. And it wasn't again, it, my, my story isn't this, you know, can't stand driving into work kind of scenario. It was more. I felt like I would regret not trying this. Mm-hmm. And this yeah. was the moment, you know, and there was there was enough, you know, it didn't work out in this way, but there was enough uh, feeling of, of security joining, you know, my brother-in-law's company and, and that the financials made sense to try this. Right. So, yeah. So that's how it started. That is so incredibly cool. And had you not taken that left turn, you know, who knows, and we'll never know, but I think the, um, the pivots are so, important and i think so important to um to call attention to when you do something that is life-altering to some extent and and you know where there's so much growth and unknown i mean you you are not a developer no well and i'm just i'm i mean my values are the same but i'm a completely different person from who I was mm-hmm. even five years, five, six years ago from taking that leap in that journey. I mean, the, just the development that, that I had to go through <clears throat> jumping on that, on that, you know, roller coaster of a ride. Um, and also the, the greatest gift finding like my true calling passion in work, which 
like I said, I mean, I enjoyed the, the job I was doing in the team and it, it felt good, but now I know what, what good feels like, you know, and you know, the, that's how we met. And there's so many wonderful humans that, I mean, had I not taken that chance and gone through the mess of, of, of what that journey also provided, uh, I wouldn't be here. You know, right. I wouldn't be here. Yeah. What, what does good feel like? Oh, good feels like being excited for the unknown versus fearing the unknown. Mm-hmm. And that's been a flip that honestly, I think flipped for me not that long ago, probably about eight, nine months ago. Okay. And, you know, cause there was a lot that went, you know, happened in the behind the scenes with the app and whatnot that really, you know, <laughs> scarred a lot of, uh, of, of my view of the entrepreneurial world and, and, and what to do next and things like that. But ultimately now I can feel, you know, especially with the book and everything that the ecosystem that I'm working in, like this is the right work. Yeah. And, and, you know, I have, the vehicle has changed, but the, the path and, and the work is the same. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. The, so when you say you're, you're a different person than you were five, six, seven years ago, does, what does that mean? What do you mean? Yeah, you know, I think just I ask more questions. I I definitely can process way more emotion and and situation and zoom out, you know, in in a better way. Uh, you know, and that's that's thanks to just the hundreds of of people been able to interview and and write about and study. But I think the biggest thing that where I'm different is. I do everything now as, as humanly possible to stay out of the autopilot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I could feel it, you know, uh, things were going well in that, in that corporate world. I mean, it was, it was kind of a classic every two years I was shifting jobs and the next, you know, the next phase was most likely a move to Switzerland for a global position, which, you know, would have been awesome, but it's, it, it just, it was so structured and so planned out that, you know, when I left that world and jumped into a new world, like all of that just exploded. And this, this idea of right now being comfortable and excited for the unknown, because I, I connect the unknown with opportunity because I'm doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not even something I would even come, come close to be thinking about, you know, five, six years ago. Yeah. That's such a gift. Again, that's just an enormous gift to be able to to see the unknown as opportunity and as possibility and as like, I don't know what's behind door number three. I guess we'll just find out rather yeah. than like, well, there's no need to open door number three because yeah. door right. number one and two fed me. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just, it's the, you know, waking up is, is a great example because it, it's real. I mean, before that, I, I would wake up with the anxiety. I mean, I would still, I'd have the practices at least to, to manage that and, and get through it. But the difference now is I, you know, I do wake up, you know, with a smile on my face and I should feel extreme stress right now. It's not like I've got everything figured out from a financial (laughs) standpoint. So, you know, I don't want to paint an illusion here, but the feelings are different. Yeah. That I'm grateful for. I mean, you're, you're in life, you're, you're living life. And so we know that there is, uh, it's not meant to be easy uh, all the time. I mean, you know, it takes a lot to just get, you know, grease the wheels 
And yeah. uh, it's not always going to be like that. But let's talk about the book, Personal Socrates. <laughs> let's talk about, I mean, the name, how did that come to come to bear? And what is inside of it? When we get our hands on it, like what are we, what are we opening our minds and our hearts to? Oh, I mean, it's, so it comes out of the, the, the experience with the app in Kia, which, you know, just very briefly what happened there, because it, this is where the book came out of, um, we launched, we launched with a really strong brand plan and collaboration strategy and all of that. And we reached 86.9 million people in the first two years without any type of paid media. And, uh, so that was fantastic, but our, business models were not necessarily dialed in and we just didn't have any experience in, in app development. So, you know, people is just as fast as people were coming in, they were leaving as well. So, you know, long story short, uh, we weren't generating enough revenue to keep it going. And we were at a point where we had finally just, you know, conducted our first round of legit user research. <clears throat> so we knew exactly what what we needed to do next. But we also, at that point, weren't naive enough to, to, to say or believe that we would nail that in one iteration. And we were already way like over-indexed cash as well as mental capacity. So the decision was to shut that company down. And that moment or those weeks after I'll never forget looking at my Apple dashboard and seeing that number of 86.9 million people, then the next step I'm going to hit delete from app store, you know, that was a deletion of a business, but also my identity in the last three years. Mm -hmm. And the worst part was because when I left, you know, I'd asked the, the question to myself, what, you know, what's the worst that can happen if I leave this job? If it, if it fails, I'll, I'll come back to the same industry. But as I went through the journey with mental fitness, like I said, I, I found the work that really lit me up and, you know, the, the preventative side of, of all these practices that the backup plan just no longer felt right anymore. So now I have no backup plan. I'm living in Toronto, Canada, the, the most expensive city in Canada. Um, the, the, the vehicle that's supposed to provide some sort of stability or revenue is no longer there. And that's also the ticket into the, in, into my work. And I have no plan forward. First time ever, you know, ever since I was a kid, essentially, you know, there was a plan there. Right. So I just remember eventually getting to a place where, you know, I leveraged enough present moment type practices and gratitude to calm that or pause that internal narrative to remember wait a second, all the people I've interviewed and yourself included are asking a very different set of questions. They're asking questions that pro propel us forward. And I got to mine, which was, what do I want for my life? And that was the question. And that was the catalyst or the idea of, wow, we, we're truly all one question away from a completely different life or outcome. Mm -hmm. And and that's when the decision was made, you know, just because the app that vehicle didn't work out doesn't mean the power of questions and these practices need to stop. And, and then the idea for, for personal Socrates came up to essentially have, you know, to speak of mental fitness and journaling from a different narrative, 
from the narrative of people like yourself or from an athlete or from Picasso or Maya Angelou, you know, not just, you know, and no disrespect to meditation instructors or yoga instructors, but that crew has this stuff figured out for the most part, or you, you would expect this stuff from them, right? Everyone else, you know, it's less unknown. Mm-hmm or less known, I should say. Mm-hmm. So the idea was, well, how can how can I write a book of profiles that opens up the dialogue around mental fitness from all these different perspectives and different industries and different people, and then have the question be the lead-in to, to basically meet people wherever they're at in life, right? Because, you know, a, a quality question, in my opinion, is is a question that's asked at the right time and it resonates. You know, so the, the idea if someone opens the book, there are all types of different questions and they'll resonate in different ways as your life evolves. So the book, essentially, my goal is that it evolves with you. Because if I ask myself the question of what do I want for my life right now, it'd be a nice check-in and kind of, you know, or your temperature check. But it's not the question that was that, you know, not too long ago pulled me out of a depression, essentially. Mm-hmm. Right. So there are different questions. So that's that's how the book um is set up. It's it's a guide. It's full of practices. It's wrapped around mental fitness, like mental fitness frameworks, with the questions being the things that that lead um, the whole process. And the book is titled "Personal Socrates," um, given obviously hence all of the questions, and that we all can have our own essential personal Socrates on our shoulder at any moment's notice. Just like I was able to leverage in Boston when I needed it most. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, that is so amazing. And I think we all know we, many of us that have been turned on to Socrates in seventh grade or 11th grade or whenever, uh, we all know that he was a great question asker. Yeah. And, but that's and, all I knew, Claude. Yeah. I hated the title of this book. It wasn't me that came up with that originally. <laughs> it was actually Joey from, from Baron Fig, the publisher. Yeah. Because I was explaining kind of the journey, I was explaining the, how I used questions and how the, the you know through all the interviews, kind of questions is usually the through line. And he just he whips that he's like, oh, so like the Socratic method, right? Like, the what the Socratic what? I'm like, I again know of Socrates, kind of just how you described him, but that was kind of it. And then it wasn't until. Because he said, oh, it sh- the book should, you should call the book Personal Socrates. I'm like, I don't think so. I'm not a philosopher. <laughs> I'm not trying to write a book on philosophy. No one's going to get this. And it wasn't until I dived into, okay, well, let's look at this, this Socrates character a little bit more. And the realization was, wow, you know, he created this method that essentially everyone has a general idea about we're all going through it in some sort of cap- capacity where we ask a big question, we ask more questions and, and whatnot. It's literally been around since 469 BC, around that, that time. And it's been used, though, primarily in an academic setting. Mm-hmm. And I started seeing, well, there's, you know, they're showing that there different scholars are, are suggesting there are six question types. And I started reading them. There's clarity seeking, there's challenging assumptions. And that's as far as I can go. I'd have to open the book to look at all six question types. And that was the problem. And yeah. that's when I, you know, the, the decision was, okay, it has to be called personal Socrates and I have to modernize the method so that we did, we don't even have to think about it, that we just do it, but we do it with intention. 
<laughs> and then that's that's how the structure of the book of step one are, are questions around getting clear. And then step two um, are questions to help us be more intentional with our, our activities, our habits, our thoughts, how we react. And that's all you have to remember because if you do the first two, then the third one just happens naturally. And that's an expansion of possibility because mm. you can see, you can see. That's so incredible. I'm listening, you know, as I'm listening to, and I've known you now a little bit, I'm thinking about the space that you create for people. And the space is where it happens. It, growth, exploration, uh, deliberation, whatever, fill in the blank. And, And what you did, look, I mean, waiting tables, you're creating space, you're creating an experience, uh, um, a, uh, a box, and you have a part in that box and your, your customers have a part in that box. Yeah. And, you know, what you did with the app and certainly what you do with the book and what you do on the podcast is all about creating a space where I, I feel, at least every time I talk to you, a freedom to be my authentic self and to just just to be. And whatever happens in this space is, the, is really the meal that we create together and don't have it make another space for someone. But yeah. it's a real, you know, I, I, I'm going to go back and listen to this podcast and, and listen to how many times I, I mentioned gift when we're talking, but it's another gift that you offer people. Oh, thank I think you. It's, thank you. It's the truth. It really is. And, you know, we, we want to, at least for me, I, I want to create a space where people come to feel ignited and people come to feel held and seen and that they matter and, and fill in, fill in the blanks. And I just think, I really feel like you create space. Thank you. Well, it's, I mean, thank you. It's, it's, it's a beautiful compliment because essentially the, the profile I wrote on you in the book is opens with how can I hold space for uh-huh. others? Thank and you. the final thought in the profile, I know your, your book was delayed, so you probably haven't seen this, but the final thought that I came to on this one was to hold space for others. You have to first hold space for yourself. Uh-huh. And, you know, in the middle of that is all these wonderful practices that, you know, you shared with me in the past, but uh, it's, uh, it's, it's ironic that you're talking about me and holding (laughs) space. (laughs) Oh, that's so great. I love it. I mean, birds of a feather, you know, we, we find each other and I'm so excited for what you're bringing to the world through the book, through who you are, through your presence and I've just always found you to be such a generous spirit. I really mean that, you know, mm. and again, we've never met, but <laughs> I, we have such a kinship together. And I, I feel like we, and I'm putting words into your mouth potentially, but I do feel like we want, we both want to create a place and a space where people come to feel loved. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's really it's it. Just, yeah. It, uh, it just makes for a beautiful existence and mm-hmm. a smoother ride and just a, a ride with more smiles, I, yeah. I find. It's so rewarding, isn't it? Yeah. 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 All right. On that note, thank you so much. I want thank to do you. this again and again oh, and again. Course. 
And I can't wait. And uh, thank you so much for being here, Mark. Right back at you. What a, a beautiful conversation. I didn't expect to go the Red Lobster route. Hey, everybody. If you want to start a podcast or you have a podcast that you want to get up and running, please, please reach out to my team at onairbrands.com. That's onairbrands.com. They're the best.